dig it! In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance in this first half tonight. The doctor operates here. Oh, well, he has trouble with the spin! Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart, and they never quit. The doctor is now in. Wednesday it is, Wild Wednesday, jam-packed show Wednesday. How about that for you? A great guest list on tap today, once again. As we're hitting the NBA playoffs, the NFL draft, and a whole lot more coming your way today in NFL, right around the corner, huh? We've got the NFL draft coming your way tomorrow from Kansas City, from a train station. What is up with this? I mean, we're having some really strange locations for this stuff, but it is what it is, as they say. What it is, what it shall be. All right, glad to have you with us, T.C. Martin. Nunchuck on the other side of the glass, making it all happen. We'll see if he can stay undefeated today with pressing all the right buttons all the time. Ooh, you little fade there. I see where you're going. Oh, we're going. A little choo-choo. I used to jam to this back in the day. I can do this. All right, let me tell you what we got going on today. All right. We're going to go to Sacktown today, baby. I do kind of wish I was there. You know, back again for game number five, but that's okay. I'll enjoy watching it from my cozy confines. Gary Gerald, the longtime voice of the Sacramento Kings, and uh, Kings fans or just general basketball fans, you know Gary Gerald. He has been doing this for 38 years. He is going to join us today, and we'll talk about De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox says he is going to play. He says there is no ifs, ands, and buts about it. I'm playing two days ago. He said he was doubtful, but uh, he's going to go. And that Sacramento Kings train, they are revved up. They're already partying in front of Golden One Center right now. And Gary Gerald will join us. We'll talk about his fabulous career. It's definitely one of the best, uh, the longest-running NBA play-by-play voice. Really the longest-running, I I believe, of any of the major sports. And uh, Gary, a, a great guy, great friend, and has been doing it since the Kings relocated from Kansas City going back to 1985. And uh, he's been the legendary voice of the Kings. So that'll be fun, uh, talking to him. From the NFL side, Paul Gutierrez is going to join us uh, from ESPN. He is the Raiders insider. Always like talking to Paul as we look at what the Raiders are going to do with the draft, coming up with the number seven pick overall tomorrow. All right, so a little bit more than uh, 24 hours away uh, from that. So we'll talk to Paul Gutierrez regarding that. And then also, uh, in the same vein, on the NFL side, but also the NBA playoff side, too, uh, Arash McCarthy is going to join us coming up this hour. Arash, uh, always great, uh, formerly of the LA Times and ESPN. Uh, he is now the founder of the Sporting Tribune, his publication there, and also... Uh, he does a fantastic job on the, as a host on the Mightier 1090 there in Southern California, uh, doing radio. So, uh, jam packed show coming your way with all of this. All right. But we start today talking about, uh, Aaron Rodgers and his introductory press conference today that happened in uh, the tall trees and this there in New Jersey. 
the uh, Jets facility, which is uh, very nice, uh, by the way. But then again, you got to play your home games in the Meadowlands. It's okay, but, you know, it's still New Jersey. But no, uh, I know I've got friends in New Jersey, uh, colleagues in New Jersey. Uh, there's nice, great facilities. Both the Giants and the Jets have great uh, facilities there. All right. But Aaron Rodgers uh, has made his way to the East Coast and said all the right things today. He was on his best behavior. He was smiling. He was, for the most part, called every media member that asked him a question at the press conference today by their first name. Trying to be very cordial. Well, of course, because you know what this is right now? This is the honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase. It's all good. Yes, he loves the Jets. The Jets love him. And so much is being made about, oh, the New York media. How's he going to be able to handle the New York media? Here's a guy from small town, Northern California, Chico. All right. And he goes to small town, Green Bay. And he's always handled the media fine. Uh, he's a pro. Guy's going to be 40 years old, 20 years in the league. He's going to be totally fine the way he's, he handles the media. But New York media and everyone else, be ready because he's downright nasty after losses. Been seeing this for nearly 20 seasons. So it'll be interesting. But right now, everything's happy. All right. Here is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and here is uh, the gist of what he had to say when he was introduced as the new Jets quarterback. It's a real day for me. After spending 18 years in the same city, it's been a lot of uh, introductions today, meeting a lot of people, but there's a lot of excitement. Um, I'm here because I believe this. I believe in this team. I believe in Coach Sala. I believe in the direction uh, of Joe Douglas. Obviously, he's drafted really well the last couple of years, having an uh, offensive and defensive rookie of the year. Um, but big thanks to the Jets organization. Obviously, a big thanks to the Green Bay Pack organization for an incredible run. Uh, that chapter is over now, and I'm excited about the new adventure here in New York. A big reason I'm here, i got to mention, is Nathaniel Hackett, who's here. Uh, Hackett and I became really close friends for three years in, in Green Bay, and I love him like a brother, and I believe in him. You know, I'm an old, I'm an old guy, so I want to be part of a team that can win it all. And I believe that this is a place we can get that done. I grew up watching old VHS tapes of uh, of the Super Bowls. And so obviously I know about the Guarantee and, and Broadway Joe. Been a while since then. I noticed uh, walking in this morning that that uh, Super Bowl three trophy is looking a little lonely. So I'm not here to be a savior of any kind. I'm just here to be uh, the best quarterback I can be to lead authentically and to inspire the guys around me to raise their level of play to uh, to an even greater greater spot. All right. That's part of what Aaron Rodgers had to say today at his introductory press conference uh, with the New York Jets. Like I said, said all the right things. Uh, there was one question, and, and I'll tell you this. Uh, kudos to the New York media today for firing some very good questions. They were professional. They were not negative in any way. Uh, they were not over, you know, welcoming and, you know, throwing softball questions. It was a very sound press conference. And I love the way the Jets basically gave each reporter, okay, one question. And this thing lasted about 22 minutes and that was it. They got him in, got him out, and, and it was fine. But one of the interesting things was, as we know, we've been hearing that, okay, what went wrong? 
with Rodgers and the Packers. And I've talked a lot about this, okay, where the time just wore out. Okay, the Packers finally, after putting up with his nonsense for years, said, you know, enough is enough. Uh, if you're not sure you want to be here, then just, just say that. We've got Jordan Love. We don't know how good he could be, but he's ready to go, and we don't want to pay him for sitting on the bench for another year, a la exactly what happened with Aaron Rodgers and Ted Thompson when he opted to go with Aaron Rodgers because he selected him in the first round, just like... The Packers did here with Jordan Love. Now, not comparing, of course, Rodgers to Love or Favre to Love, anything of that nature, but it was just time to move on. Again, the Brett Favre situation, totally different. Brett never wanted to leave. He was very adamant about that. They had to push him out the door, and Ted Thompson pushed him out the door. The Packers were very patient, very patient with Aaron Rodgers, but Rodgers wanted to march to the beat of his own drum. He wanted to, you know, basically punch in, punch out what he wanted to, and the communication was not great on either side. So one of the questions today was what happened with that relationship with the Packers? And when did it go south? And where was the communication at? So Aaron Rodgers has a very interesting explanation on why the communication was so bad during this offseason, which led to the Packers trading him to the Jets. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I need to really get into the specifics. Um, I will say people that know me, uh, I'm fortunate to live in a, in a beautiful house. The only downside is I have very limited cell service. So if you want to get a hold of me, I have to see your face. you got to FaceTime me. Uh, so the only response to, to the communication thing is there's you know records in your phone about who called you, when, FaceTime. And there wasn't any specific FaceTimes from any of those numbers that I was looking at. Um, that's neither here nor there because we're now we're in this position. Um, obviously, that's somehow, you know, what uh, the direction they wanted to go as far as they couldn't, the story, they couldn't get a hold of me, which led for this to, to be the case. My point was if, if there was a change that wanted to be made, why wasn't that told to me early in the offseason? Now, obviously, my future was on the side at that time. I didn't know if I wanted to keep playing. I wanted to go into my darkness retreat and, and sit with it and contemplate. Um, but when I came out, it was evident that uh, it was uh, retire or move on to a new team. All right, there is Aaron Rodgers uh, explaining that situation. How about that? Well, let's see. I got a beautiful home. And he's talking about his home in, in San Diego, in that area, and saying that, you know, but the cell service really isn't very good. Hmm. So they said they tried to call, but I really didn't notice it. And I went back to my phone records to see if they did try to call. And so basically what he said was, you need FaceTime. You got to FaceTime me because FaceTime works. Okay. I know a little bit about spotty self-service and everything, but I believe that you can receive texts and texts will come across only FaceTime instead of just a, a regular phone call. Are you kidding me? What kind of lame excuse is that? All right. Why doesn't both sides just go pony up and say, okay, you know, didn't call him, didn't want to this and that. Or how about this? There's a thing called email. You know, I, I don't think email has anything to do with your cell service. 
What the heck? <laughs> this is what we're dealing with, with Aaron Rodgers. Talking about doesn't have good cell service. And, you know, if you want to contact him, you got to go FaceTime. Isn't FaceTime runoff of cell service? So I believe so. Because I know I when I don't have service, I can't FaceTime. Yeah. So, but here you go. Why are you putting that out there in your introductory press conference again in front of your New York media? <laughs> I mean, you could really have a field day with that, and that could that soundbite could come back down the road big time, especially if the Jets start off. One and four, three and six, you know, something along those lines. When the Jets are struggling to get in the playoffs and and what are Packer fans and what are the Packers brass going to say? It's like, well, maybe we made the right move. But again, on the flip side, if Jordan Love doesn't become anything special, then the Packers could say, well, could we have put up with Aaron Rodgers for maybe one more season? Now, the Packers are done. Can't blame them. I know that sounds strange for a lot of people. It's like a perennial MVP. The guy was just the MVP last year. Did win a Super Bowl. But, you know, from their standpoint, you only won one Super Bowl. Not multiple like we thought. I mean, you couldn't even really get to get to multiple Super Bowls. Couldn't get there. Barely got to NFC Championship games. Had so many disappointing seasons. Now, is it all on Aaron Rodgers? No. But you don't need to be playing these games. The guy doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to be there. And it took the Packers maybe a year too long to come to this realization that, okay, we're going to move on. But, again, they wanted to try to milk Aaron Rodgers for as much as they could. And I think after last season they said, you know, he is a step slower, probably doesn't have that exact same arm strength. So we'll just go ahead and, and uh, you know, we'll hang with him for one more year. And after watching it this year, it's like, okay, it's time to move on. Nobody knows what Jordan Love will do. All right. The only thing we could judge Jordan Love, and this is what I judge him off of, what I saw with him at Utah State. But man, that was four or five years ago, you know? So we, you don't really know, you know, what, he has. We've seen him in some preseason games. We've seen him in, you know, fill in duty for Rodgers, very minimal, some mop up duty, but you really don't know. I will tell you this the Packers, though, have always been a, a team that's, they have a great system and they've always had a, a very good offensive system and they've been able to plug and play certain guys into that. And guys that were street free agents, especially at the wide receiver position, even running back position, and not really. You know, high price guys or early, you know, first round guys at the running back position, but they've been able to plug people in to their system. And maybe, okay, maybe, I don't know. I've never been a Jordan Love guy, but at the end, I, I thought he was mediocre at best when he was at Utah State. What is he going to bring to this team? You don't know. You can only hope, and this is what the Packers see is like, he'll always look pretty good in practice. Okay, he knows the system, so now we've got to give him an opportunity to play because he's sat behind Rodgers for four years. Let's see what he has. So I think that's that. That's what the Packers are hoping for. All right, but as far as Aaron Rodgers goes, hey, honeymoon phase right now. Saying all the right things today at the press conference. Let's see what happens, and it makes sense. 
You know, we talked about it before. Nathaniel Hackett, he gets to be reunited with him. That's why he's there. Robert Saul likes, likes him. They have a little bit of rapport. Get it. And, uh, but his opening thing that he said today was, well, yeah, you know, why the Jets? Well, I don't know. They smoked us pretty good last year. I love that line. They smoked us pretty good. So we'll see how it plays out. But right now, Aaron Rodgers is saying all the right things. All right. Here's another guy who usually says all the right things. Uh, does a fantastic job. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's in print or on the radio. And he's a frequent visitor to Las Vegas. I still think he has a second home here in, in Vegas. And that's Arash Bakazi. Arash, what's going on, brother? Not much. How are you? I'm good, man. First of all, it was great seeing you uh, at the Final Four. Uh, and and uh, so long time overdue to to having you back on the show here. But uh, I wanted to talk with you about some NBA playoffs, of course, all things L.A., including the Lakers. But uh, first and foremost, I want to see how you're doing, my friend. Doing well, yeah. Well, a lot to, lots going on. You know, as, as you know, I think last time we talked about the Sporting Tribune, you know, the company I started, we're just covering sports in Southern California, Vegas, Hawaii. So we got the Kings, we got the Golden Knights, we got the Lakers, we did have the Clippers. So a lot happening. Yeah, exactly. Yes, the Sporting Tribune, check uh, Arash uh, out there as well. And again, formerly with the LA Times, ESPN, host of the Mighty, Mighty 1090 as well, too. All right, let's talk about uh, we just got in talking about Aaron Rodgers and, and the Jets introductory press conference. I don't know how much of that or if any of you saw that t- today, but uh, what, what's your take on this, Arash, and, and what do you think about the fit? Well, you know what? It, it was interesting because it was very clear in hearing him that, that, that this was the only team he wanted to go to. It was either he was going to retire or he was going to get traded to the Jets. So um, amazing that the Packers got the trade package that they did just because, I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't much leverage there. So, um, you know, happy for the Jets. I mean, we've we kind of seen this play out before with Brett Favre. Um, so, you know, I mean, happy for him. I, I don't know really what to expect from that team. I, I don't think that it instantly makes them a Super Bowl a contending team. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, only time will tell with this thing. And, you know, is Rogers motivated? Yes. Seems like he, he's motivated. He's saying all the, all the right things right now. And, but there are some weapons there. But if the Jets don't uh, address the offensive line issues, then, you know, it could be a nightmare for Rogers, uh, especially, you know, uh, approaching the age of 40. I mean, it was interesting that that was a goal of his. I mean, he he mentioned that his, one of his goals was to play quarterback until he turned 40. He's turning 40 this season. So, um, you know, listen, it works for Tom Brady. I think Tom Brady is the outlier. I, I, I think a lot of teams out there who think they're going to get a 40-year-old quarterback and they're going to go to the Super Bowl in their first year, that that, that doesn't happen. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that all, that, that all plays out. All right, uh, Lakers in Memphis. We turn our attention to the NBA playoffs. This has been a crazy series that has featured injuries, major trash talking, some real heated emotions here. Uh, what has stood out for you in this series through the first four games? Yeah, I mean, just really the play of LeBron James, but also the way that this team has come together. Again, you know, they, they make the trades that they did. They make the moves that they made. At the time of the trade deadline, this team was not a play-in tournament team. They were a below 500 team. They were, they, 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 they didn't look like a contender. And now, when you look around the league, it's not that just that they can maybe beat the Grizzlies. They're one win away from advancing to the semifinals. This, this team could 
could make a run here. I mean, I, I never thought I would say that after the two and ten start late in the season. By the way, I mean this team is a below five hundred team and one of the best teams in the league. Yeah, no, no doubt. Now, when you look at game number five tonight. You look at Memphis, and they are the higher seed here. And we know they are a very good home team as well, too. Morant's still not completely healthy, but, man, he has shown some signs. I mean, you're watching him go down the lane, uh, attempting to dunk over anyone who gets in his way, including LeBron James. I'm very curious of what is going to happen with the Lakers because we really haven't seen the Lakers, even though they've they've won – uh, you know, three games in this series, we really haven't seen him put two solid performances together back to back. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's the biggest thing that I want to see tonight is 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 how he plays. I mean, you know, the crowd's going to be amazing. They've been the best home team in the league this season, but that's why I listen. As much as I would like to see the Lakers win and move on, the clinching game, the clincher, is always the toughest game, and even more so when you have to go on the road. So, I mean, I have no expectation that they're going to find a way to beat uh, the Grizzlies in Memphis. That's that's why Game Six is so crucial. I mean, they they. They don't win game six. Like, if they lose five, like I'm predicting, and then they lose uh, six, game seven in Memphis, that's that's going to be a tough one. I really think that they've won the one game that they were going to win away from home. Mm-hmm. Arash, what has it been, in your opinion, with this team? Because they've been heavily inconsistent, uh, especially Anthony Davis. I mean, you literally do not know what you're going to get. And that sounds pretty sad, but really, this has kind of been it his entire career, not just with the Lakers, but prior to this as well, too. And when he was at Kentucky, I mean, it was, you know, pretty much, okay, sky's the limit for this guy. But do you feel a little disappointed in watching Anthony Davis, you know, during his pro career, especially his time with the Lakers? Well, you know, to be honest, I'm just happy when he's healthy. I know that's a low bar. I will say, you know, when they won the championship in the bubble in Florida, that was the high watermark of his career so far. I mean, I really thought he was in contention to win most valuable player of the finals. He he certainly was one of their, uh, you know, could have won it if they did it for the entire postseason. And so while some people want to diminish the championship that was won in the bubble, I certainly don't. You know, before the pandemic shut down the season, they were the number one seed in the West. They were number two overall in the league. So, um, but, you know, listen, you have to stay healthy. And as much as I wish he was more healthy, you kind of don't have to look far when you look for guys who are just never healthy. I mean, you know, the, the summer that Anthony Davis comes to the Lakers, Kawhi and Paul George, they go to the Clippers. And so we'll see how this postseason plays out, but at least Anthony Davis is healthy now. All right, let's leave you on this, uh, Arash. Uh, NHL playoffs, Edmonton defeats uh, the L.A. Kings last night 6-3. to three. Kings now trail this series three games to two. Uh, give me some quick thoughts on, on this series moving forward and then throw in the Golden Knights against Winnipeg tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, you know, my, my dream of having a Kings-Golden Knights uh, second-round series is not looking too good. I mean, it looked good for a moment there when the Kings took a 3-0 lead in the first period in game four. They blew that lost in overtime, and I just had a bad feeling going into game five. Certainly didn't think that they would lose six to three. Now they they uh, play for their season. 
at home in game six. I do think that they do that, but I, I do think it's the same result as a year ago where um, Edmonton wins in game seven. Uh, I, I, I really like this Golden Knights team, though. I'm, I'm having vibes from uh, 2017, <laughs> uh, you know, just always making the right play at the right time, a, a clutch group right here. So, um, unfortunately, I don't see the Kings advancing. But I do like the Golden Knights right now. All right. If that is the case, I'm sure you'll be back and forth from L.A. to Vegas for every game for that series. I got to be. That's right. That's it. Your your dual citizenship here. Your dual (laughs) California-Nevada citizenship. That's right. By the way, it's the sports mecca, as you know. It's it's that 270 miles that connects us. Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Super Bowl, World Cup, Olympics, you name it. You got it, brother. All right, my man. We appreciate the time as always. Uh, Keep up the great work and look forward to talking with you more during the course of the NBA and the NHL playoffs. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care, brother. There is. Arash Bakazi does a fantastic job. Uh, always has. I mean, his time uh, back when he was writing for the LA Times and, and ESPN and uh, and now uh, you know doing the radio thing, not only at uh, the Mightier 1090, but also uh, in, uh, Hawaii Radio uh, as well, too. But uh, yeah, definitely you know check out. Uh, he's the founder of the Sporting Tribune, so go online and check that out. All right. When we come back, we're going to Sacktown, baby, and we're going to talk to Gary Gerald the legendary voice of the Sacramento Kings as we get ready to preview game five tonight. It is a monster game between the Kings and the Warriors. I do exactly what I want to do. It's It's the the Dr. Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. Well, we know my hometown of Sacktown is revved up, fired up, and ready to go tonight for game number five, just like they were in game one and game two of this series against the Golden State Warriors. And uh, not a better person to talk about the Sacramento Kings and this series than the legendary voice. 38 years he has been doing this ever since the Kings relocated from Kansas City to Sacramento, uh, and personally one of my favorites as well, too. Uh, Gary Gerald joins us now. Gary, otherwise known as the G-Man. What's going on, my man? Well, just another beautiful day in Northern California and uh, waiting for some excitement to play out at Golden One Center. I hope you got the voice ready to go, Gary, because you know how crazy it's going to be. And I know that I was uh, sitting behind you there in, in game one, and I don't even know how you were able to broadcast. I was, was talking to Henry Turner after that game as well, too, and he goes, we couldn't even hear ourselves think because, I mean, where your broadcast position was there, and which is kind of a little unusual, not being at courtside up there, you know, with the crowd and with that reverberation and everything, I can only imagine, you know, you know how crazy that's been for you. Well, it's uh, it's par for the course. That's playoff basketball, and it's been, of course, as you know, such a long time in between playoff opportunities for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, it, it's interesting that a couple of different times during the course of those first two games at home, I just slipped the headset off just to to really get an idea of how loud and how sustained uh, the loudness has been. And it's it's terrific. It's just uh, it's a great atmosphere. And it's going to be rocking. There's no question about it tonight. This is a huge game. We're down to a best of three series now. Each team has held serve on the home court. A lot of storylines continue. Uh, it, but right now, probably the number one storyline is just how effective is De'Aaron Fox going to be uh, after learning 
that he sustained a, an avulsion fracture to his index finger and his shooting hand in the final minutes of uh, the last game, Sunday's game in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about De'Aaron Fox. Like you said, the broken left index finger, and that is his shooting hand. I know uh, he was ruled doubtful two days ago, and then I believe his quote yesterday was, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm playing. And I know saw a little video of him you know, tr- uh, attempting and shooting some free throws, looked pretty good. But as we know, Gary, you, you know, free throws in practice is a whole different situation. You know, once you get into game time and everything, how effective do you think he can be tonight? Well, it's pure speculation on anybody's part. I mean, that's just we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. Um, I know that you know it impacts the index finger is is virtually involved in anything you do in terms of passing the ball, trying to rebound, uh, shooting the basketball, and he spent a good deal of time over the last couple of days trying to adapt, you know, and get and get comfortable and get uh, familiar with whatever kind of change he may have to make to his shooting technique so that how does that translate we can only speculate but one thing i do know is that De'Aaron fox has been you know just amazing in his contributions in the first four games his first four playoff opportunities and he has become you know it's like his coming out party and a lot of people in other parts of the country have no idea just how good De'Aaron fox is but they're getting familiar with him now and the fact that you know he was a first-time all-star this year uh, in the four games he's averaged 31 and a half points and he's getting six re- seven rebounds seven assists two and a half steals i mean the contribution has been off the charts mm-hmm. and if he is anywhere near his normal self that's all well and good for the kings if he's not then you wonder okay who's going to pick up the slack, particularly in the scoring column. And there's no doubt. I mean, he is the engine that goes for the Sacramento Kings. And you've seen him uh, for the last six years uh, since he's been there in Sacramento and the Kings drafted him out of Kentucky. But he has kind of been under the radar until maybe this season. Talk a little bit about uh, what you've noticed about De'Aaron Fox and his development since, you know, year one with the Kings to, you know, where his game is right now. Well, basically, in the first five years that he was with Sacramento, he went through a multitude of coaching changes. That never is helpful. And trying to get, you know, familiar with what each coaching system wants and expects of him. But it's all changed dramatically this year. And in large part, it's basically on Mike Brown, who's the new head coach of the Sacramento Kings. And from the very first day, that he made his appearance in Sacramento a couple of days after the Warriors won the championship in Boston. Uh, Mike comes in, and they have a, a public news conference, and it's open to a handful of the players who are there, people within the organization, as well as the assembled media. And I've, I've told this story multiple times, but it was really interesting because among those players who were there was uh, De'Aaron Fox. He's standing over against the wall to my far right, and Mike Brown, in the course of his introductory remarks to Sacramento was talking about how this organization, in his opinion, needs soul. Any successful organization, be it in sports or any other endeavor, has to have soul. And he says, and I'm not talking about soul among the players and the coaching staff, the medical staff. I'm talking about soul within every member of the organization, the people who sell the tickets, the concessionaires, the people who are, you know, uh, help folks find their seats, uh, one thing or another. Everybody has to pull on the same rope. Well, he talks about then defining roles, which is one of the key things that virtually every coach 
wants to and needs to do. And then he talked about accountability. Hmm. And in the course of the conversation, he said, you know, Foxy over here, uh, he and I go back to his high school days in Texas, and they were involved in a pair of couple of camps and clinics and one thing or another. And he says, I know De'Aaron Fox has explosive quickness, unlike anybody else in the NBA. But he says what he's going to learn to become is an NBA quality defender. And so basically in his first meeting publicly in Sacramento, Mike Brown is challenging De'Aaron Fox in front of the organization and the assembled media. And Fox has, you know, got a grin on his face over leaning against the wall, kind of roll his eyes and like, okay, I I hear you, coach. Well, very much to De'Aaron's credit, that's the biggest step I think he's taken in his now six-year career is that this year he has become an on-point defender. You don't see it all the time the way coaches might want to see it, but everybody says if the Kings are going to have success – They have to be better defensively. That's been an ongoing mantra all season long. And Fox is a tone setter when it comes to defense. And he's become much more than just a casual uh, defender. And I I think, again, that that's where he's made his biggest stride this season. Yeah, Great stuff from Gary Gerald. 38 years of voice of the Sacramento Kings. I want to get back to this series in a a couple minutes, uh, Gary, but I want to talk about your career. Again, I've, I've... Followed it uh, ever since, you know, 1985 when the Kings, you know, moved from Kansas City and you got uh, the microphone there. Uh, did you ever envision that this would still be going on for you right now as we you know, are in 2023? No, no way. Uh, I had no idea really what to expect. Uh, I knew that I was extremely fortunate to have been singled out and and to be given the responsibility of being the radio guy for the Sacramento Kings. And I was young and naive and dumb, as we frequently are in our youth. Excuse me. But as time evolved and I became more comfortable in the role and I learned more about the game and I learned more about developing relationships with members of the coaching staff, the organization, as well as the players and trying to create, you know, respectability, trying to create honest to goodness relationships of trust. Uh, it, it became more and more meaningful. Now, by the same token, the Kings were so bad in so many of those early years that it was really difficult, but I didn't know any better. And I certainly didn't have any any glimpse of the fact that it might be an ongoing thing at my age, uh, 38 years later. I'm blessed to have the opportunity, TC. I've said it many times. I, I have a passion for what I do. I really enjoy this game. And I joke about the fact that, you know, before the Kings went into that 16 seasons without making it to the playoffs, I used to be 6'4", and they kind of beat me down to where I'm about 5'8 now. <laughs> it's uh, Yes, I've seen some, some pretty grim nights. Yeah. But by the same token, you know, I've tried to, I've always tried to be honest. I If the Kings are stinking the joint up, I'm going to tell you that they're stinking the joint up. But I'm also going to try to find some ray of positivity. And, and I think that you, you try to find that balance over the years. And some may say you've done a great job doing that. And others may say you failed miserably doing that. I know you can't please everyone, 
But again, I'm blessed to have this opportunity, and I certainly do enjoy it. Yeah, and I don't think anyone has ever called you a homer, uh, Gary, at all. And, and there are those type of announcers in our industry that, uh, that that do that. And again, but you you come from a national background. You were doing auto racing for all those years and continue to do so for many years. And I think you, you took it from a, a great perspective and you knew what basketball meant to Sacramento. I mean, you've been there a long time and native yourself and everything. So, no, I don't think anyone uh, uh, can do it better than you and, and, and has done it. So just, you know, kudos to you for uh, continuing continuing to deliver a, a great product. And, you know, you've had, you've mentioned those downtimes early on. We all remember that, you know, in Sacramento, but there's a lot of memorable moments as well, too. I mean, you've been through three arenas. Let's think about this. You've been through three arenas, some good teams, some bad teams, like you mentioned, but there are some pretty good teams, very good teams, great teams, almost heck. And, uh, in, I know you have some great memories and i'd just like for you to share with our audience some of those heck uh you know one sticks out for me there's so many that stick out for me but you know go way back to like 1989 when the kings were moving into the the second rendition of of arco arena when greg lukenbill the owner is he's up on a uh on a rainy night there in sacramento up on the catwalk trying to play construction worker and 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 you know fix the the leak uh then again you've got so many great personalities just a couple things what stands out for you your time is an announcer of the Kings? Well, certainly uh, the the eight consecutive years of being in the playoffs under Rick Adelman yeah. uh, is very, very high on the list. And coming so close to winning a, a Western Conference championship and chance to get into the NBA Finals, which in that particular season would have been against the then New Jersey Nets. And frankly, I don't think uh, the New Jersey Nets would have had a realistic chance against that edition of the Sacramento Kings. And they ultimately, New Jersey ended up playing the Lakers, and the Lakers win the, the championship. <clears throat> but, you know, you come close. You never know when you're going to get another opportunity. Uh, but those eight years were, were remarkable. The atmosphere at the old Arco was uh, astounding. And, you know, it was the cowbells, it was the plywood floors in a building that was basically was built on the cheap. There's no no secret there. But people stomping their feet, the Arco Thunder, as we called it, uh, great, great times. But sometimes your memories are not keyed upon success. I, I think back to the very first year of the Kings in Sacramento. And <clears throat> right before Christmas, the Kings are ending a road trip in Milwaukee, and uh, they get spanked, and I don't remember if it was 56 or 58 points, but it, you know, it was just so dreadful, and that was my first eye-opening experience about how brutal nights can be in the NBA. Well, we come home from Milwaukee the next day, and that night is supposed to be, and was, the King's Christmas gathering at the old Woodlake Inn in Sacramento, Yeah, and so we're there, and everybody's kind of, you know, still trying to shake off what had happened 24 hours earlier in Wisconsin. And Joe Axelson, who was the then general manager, just said, hey, you know, you've got to understand there will be nights like this, and you have to find a way to deal with it. And it was simple, uh, straightforward, you know, man-to-man type of talk, but I was still a kid. And, and I, I remember that distinctly. And so there were times we had a game against the Golden State Warriors uh, right after the, I think it was before the Mitch Richmond deal and Billy Owens trade and uh, the Warriors beat us by 62. And you just say, how does this happen? But so some of those things 
stick in your mind just as much as now the first year that Tyreek Evans was with the Kings. He was rookie and he was putting up great numbers. He became the first uh, in a very select group of of players to average twenty plus points, five plus boards, five plus assists, and uh, he helped spark a comeback in Chicago that saw the Kings down 35 against the Bulls in the third quarter. Down 35 in the third quarter. And we came back and won that game. I'll never forget that. But then you also remember, all right, just a couple of years ago, we're down 17 with about 240-something left in regulation in Minnesota. Kings find a way to come back. Darren Fox deliberately misses a free throw and scores off the deliberate miss to tie the game and send it into overtime, and the Kings get the win. So there are there are nights like that that just jump out of nowhere, very much like in the very early years. I, and pardon me while I wandered here, yeah. but I'm remembering in L.A. against the Lakers. The Kings are down 29 to nothing to start the game. I remember that. They yes. ended up, yeah. They scored four points in the first quarter, yep. all four at the free throw line from Reggie Theus. Yes. They trailed after 12 minutes, 40 to four. <laughs> and that was the end of the road for Phil Johnson as the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Right. I mean, it, it's just, there, there are a ton of memories mm-hmm. and uh, some of them are, are really special and really good. And some of them are kind of grim. Yeah. Gary Gerald, the G-Man, a longtime voice of the Sacramento Kings. You mentioned the building there at Arco Arena. And now you got Golden One Center. The atmosphere in both of the buildings in this series, Gary, are really electric. And I'd like for you to, to kind of, you know, go back and compare. I mean, both are relatively new compared to their old ones. We're talking about the Chase Center in San Francisco and, of course, Golden One Center in Sacramento. What have you noticed as far as the vibe and actual true home court advantage with Arco Arena to Golden One Center? And then also from the Warriors side, coming in as a visitor and a visiting announcer from the Oakland Coliseum Arena to the Chase Center. Well, let's let's start with Sacramento. I would say that the the vibe from the old Arco playoff days to what we're experiencing now is very very similar, uh, because it's been such a long time coming seventeen years, sixteen seasons without being in the playoffs. Um, it has more immediate impact, I think. And you notice, I mean, the energy is electric when you first walk into the building. I thought it was interesting that uh, a week ago for game number one in the series, one of the NBA representatives, who who I don't happen to know, but our producer, uh, Deuce Mason, is acquainted with. And he told Deuce, he says, you know, in my years in the NBA, I have never seen people lined up waiting to get into the arena the way Kings fans were for game number one. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's really, that's pretty revealing and pretty telling coming from somebody with NBA experience who's, you know, seen it all around the league. So that gives you a hint of how excited and how starved for this opportunity Kings fans are. Then you look at the Warriors moving from Oakland to Chase Center the the building at Chase Center is is magnificent, as well it should be for what three billion dollars right, exactly. But a, a good part of that is because of its location. It's in the the Mission Bay area. It's a ten minute walk from Oracle Park, the home of the Giants. Uh, it's on the waterfront. It's it's just a, a gorgeous gorgeous setting. But then keep in mind that Warrior fans, I'm not saying they're jaded at all. 
they're appreciative. But have they been spoiled in the last eight years? I kind of think so. You win four championships over an eight-year span. That's astounding. And, you know, they built a dynasty. And that core group, when you talk about the Splash Brothers, when you talk about Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and then you add a Draymond Green, a Jordan Poole, a Kevon Looney, they're really, really good. But the Warrior fans, having been down virtually every playoff road and possibility that you can imagine over the last eight, nine years, uh, they come in and they're a little more reserved. They're excited, yes. And I think that the two wins in the first two games in Sacramento got their attention. And they thought, you know, hey, we 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 got to step up here. We got to step our game up, and and they have done that. And they protected the home court in terrific fashion in games three and four. So th- there are subtle differences, I think, between the fan bases. But I just look at it and say, how great is this? Because in 38 years of the Kings in Sacramento, never once have the Warriors and the Kings had winning records in the same season. Right. I mean, that just hasn't happened. So here they are now playing in the first round, and it has captured the imagination of Kings of um, basketball fans, not Kings fans, but just NBA fans around the country. The numbers came out yesterday on the ratings for Game 4. You probably saw it. Uh, It averaged somewhere in the vicinity of 7.5 million viewers, and the peak viewership came at... 10.4 10.4 million. That was the highest number for a first round playoff series, any game in 21 years in yeah. the NBA. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty remarkable what we're seeing. And it's very exciting, obviously, to say the least. Gary, does this series or specifically heading into this game tonight, game five, remind you of any previous Kings playoff runs? Is it comparable to any that uh, you remember calling back in the day? Well, the the series with with the Lakers in 2002 right. was obviously probably the most memorable because yes. it went to a seventh game and it went to overtime in the seventh game before the Lakers ended up winning it. And, you know, with the combination of Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal and others, uh, that was that was amazing because game to game, I mean, you knew you were in going to be involved in a slugfest. Well, some of those memories fade a bit when you haven't been in the playoffs in 17 years and the excitement of getting back gets everybody hyped up. Uh, But I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm always, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I have anxiety before games. I don't get nervous before these games, but I have anxiety because you want your team that you're associated with to, to have success, to play well, to be competitive. I think that the Kings will be, competitive, even though we don't know what the limitations will be on De'Aaron Fox. So this is going to be a tremendous night of NBA basketball, and I'm just so happy that we get a chance to experience it, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. We know that there's going to be a Game 6 on Friday night at Chase Center in San Francisco. The question becomes, will there be a need for a Game 7, which if there is a Game 7, will be back in Sacramento on Sunday. Well, it'll be fantastic tonight, and you'll be in the thick of it, and Gary Gerald will be on the Kings radio network with the call here tonight. And any anticipation, you got the anxiety, you got the anticipation. Again, there's a lot of unknowns here. But real quick, Gary, how do you think this game unfolds tonight? We don't know about Fox, but we know the Warriors, you know, they've won two in a row now. 
this Kings team is still a very young team. What's your inclination of, of what's going to transpire tonight? Well, never, never underestimate the pedigree of a championship organization and ball club. And that core group is still so very effective for Steve Kerr and the Warriors. And I think that if, if I'm the Warriors, and probably the same can be said for Mike Brown and the Sacramento Kings, you want to come out and smack your opponent upside the head in the first four or five minutes of the ball game and set a tone. And then, of course, you wonder, okay, how is the officiating crew going to react? You get a different officiating crew for every game. Will they allow more physicality than we normally see in the regular season? So there, there are a ton of storylines. It's not only how effective Fox is going to be, uh, who's going to step up to fill a possible scoring void? Can Sabonis get to the free throw line? He's only averaged four and a half free throws in the four previous playoff games. Is Kevin Herter going to snap out of his slump? Uh, can Keegan Murray, the rookie, put together consecutive efficient high-scoring games after he broke through and scored 23 last Sunday? Uh, can the league monk Trey Lyles spark the bench scoring like they did in the first two games were played at home? So there are storylines everywhere you go. And I, you know, I think if I've learned anything over all these years, DC, is that don't be surprised if you see something that you've never expected <laughs> or you've never seen before. And that is something else, a statement for a guy who's been doing this for 38 years. And you're right. And you've chronicled several of those moments uh, during this, uh, this conversation. Gary, appreciate the time. Uh, look forward, hopefully talking with you again. Good luck on the call tonight, my friend. I know it's going to be a wild one, uh, and enjoy every moment of it, my friend. That's it. I, I keep telling myself, uh, savor the moment, savor the opportunity. So, you know, just kind of sit back and watch it all unfold and try my best to, to try to describe what's going on in hopefully an informative and somewhat entertaining fashion. There you go. And say hello to my good friends, my longtime friends, Jason Ross and uh, Scott Marsh, uh, Henry Turner over there as well tonight uh, uh, at uh, the Golden One Center, who will be sitting probably right next to you. Will do, TC. Thanks. Take care. All right, there he is. Gary Gerald, longtime voice of the Sacramento Kings. All right, looking forward to game five tonight. It is going to be fantastic. No matter who you're rooting for, who you like, who you're rooting against, it's going to be off the hook. No doubt about it. All right, we come back next hour. We'll talk some more NBA playoffs. Paul Gutierrez is going to join us as we get ready for the NFL draft. What are the Raiders going to do with seven? We'll talk quarterbacks, talk a whole lot more. Don't you dare go anywhere on this Wild Wednesday. Ready? One, two, three, four. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Thompson tries to answer and does. Play Thompson. The T.C. Martin Show. T.C. Martin. He's hotter than fish It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Wiggins, a three-pointer. Pots it in. A 15-point lead with 143 to play. The Warriors are ready to celebrate. The doctor, T.C. Martin. Launches. The doctor is now in. Hour number two. Getting ready for tonight's game five between the Warriors and the Kings. I want to thank Gary Gerald for 
joined us last hour. Fantastic stuff. That interview will be up on the website at tcmartinshow.com, along with all the classics, the current interviews, and a whole lot more. Our discussion yesterday with Trevor Maddich is up there right now. A little NFL draft preview. And speaking of that, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN, the Raiders insider, he will join us. What are the Raiders going to do? Pick number seven. We'll talk quarterbacks and NFL draft a little bit later this hour. But we continue with the hardwood. We uh, continue to give you the vibe from NorCal, Sacramento, San Francisco. It's all happening with the Kings and the Warriors. This series tied at two games apiece. The Kings won the first two games on their home floor at Golden One Center. The Warriors come back and win both their games um, over the weekend at the Chase Center. And now what happens? We go to Sacramento once again for game number five. And our man on the scene who's traveling back and forth. I mean, he's on, he's living off Highway 80, Sacramento, San Francisco, Sacramento, San Francisco. Oh, airplanes in between to Chicago. Who knows what? Uh, maybe Barbados, uh, Japan. Who knows? The big seven footer, Big Bill Cartwright joins us now. We'll just say, from Northern California. What's going on, my man? I am uh, very, uh, I'm not sad, but uh, I would have actually liked to participate in that uh, Gary Gerald interview. That guy is one of the few guys who's left. Yes. From, uh, when I was in high school, and he was legendary. Hmm. Uh, you know, when I was in school, so... Uh, him and uh, Clayton Sanders. Yes. Those guys were amazing. So uh, I'm sure he had some great insight for you. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to text Gary uh, right now and just say, hey, by the way, the big seven-footer says hello. How's that? Is that is that good? Uh, yeah. Weren't you supposed to do that earlier anyway? <laughs> That's what we have talked about. I mean, the guy, the guy is a, is a legend here in Sacramento. Yeah. Uh, for, for, for one thing, I really enjoy his insights. Uh, uh, and another thing, he's got such longevity here in town. I mean, he knows everybody, so it's, it's really uh, great to hear him and, uh, and, and to talk to him. Yeah, this has been an amazing season for the Kings, Bill. And we've touched upon it a little earlier, but you know they were seven hundred and fifty to one at Las Vegas Sportsbooks back in October. And I know that uh, not many people had expectations of this team, but if you look at the makeup of this team and the parts that they got, I'm, maybe it's not that surprising. Uh, let's go. Let's go back. You know, to the beginning of the season. What kind of expectations were you having for this team? And, and are you surprised how well they're doing? I'm not surprised that they were able to get into the playoffs. The one thing, they're a young team. And then I thought to start the season, they would have a chance. Now, I didn't think they was going to do as well mm-hmm. as they did. But along with the current this thing that's going on mm-hmm. where – Guys take days off. Guys don't play on the road. The best players don't play. Uh, guys don't play in back-to-back games. Uh, the Kings didn't do that this year. So I think what, what you find out when teams, young teams especially, uh, their, their guys play, that they have a really good season. So that's exactly what they were what happens with the Kings? They were consistent all year. Uh, my guys were actually 
they hurt. They took some time off. But uh, they've, they've had consistent play throughout the course of the season, and that's on the road as well. So that's what I really appreciate about them is that you know when you go to a game, you're going to get the starters. You're going to get great effort, uh, win, lose, or draw. And uh, they've just been able to develop themselves throughout the whole course of the season. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a really inspiring year. To, to watch this, that process, uh, because for me, as you know, it's a normal process. It's just nice to see that there's some teams out there that are continuing to, uh, to let, let that go on. Yeah, it definitely uh, the teams are in the minority now where you're getting guys that are playing, uh, or at least committing to, to playing you know, game in and game out. And we've seen this really backfire with some of the teams. Heck, we've seen it backfire with uh, the Clippers. You know, you look at Kawhi Leonard, and now they're done. And, you know, he comes out and he plays game number one. And, again, you know, I don't know what to blame on that. It's just a freak of nature or whatever. But, I mean, he's been sitting for, for so long. Now he gets out there as a great game one. Then we don't see him again in the rest of the series. And, it, you know, we've seen that with Anthony Davis as well, too. Not just this year, but over the years. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's disturbing. Uh, it's not good. And, and I can't recall, you know, in recent times how – how many players that we've seen get injured during this first round of the playoffs so early and either be out, miss games completely, or be hampered? Yeah, it's 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 really scary. But I believe, look, I've been out through the, throughout the course of the year, and what what happens is that there's a hardness you develop, so that now as you get back on the floor. You've got to get readjusted to contact. You've got to get readjusted to somebody grabbing and pulling you and getting knocked on the ground. It doesn't take that week or two to get yourself back to where you should be. And if you're not consistently playing throughout the course of the year, you're not going to be able to develop that kind of hardness and that kind of adjustment. And, it's, and to me, it's... it's uh, it is humorous. I, I, I can say that. But I see guys fall on the floor now. They fall on the floor, and every single one of them lay there like they've been shot. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, look, to, to me, if you fell on the floor and you were down, you were probably coming out of the game. For these guys, it's a norm. Yeah. All these guys are falling on the floor, holding their head like they've been shot. <laughs> so... I don't know. I, I can't call it. You know that. I, I, I can't call this game and what's going on now and uh, guys jumping out of the way on the defense. And uh, I was laughing the other day at the, because I have a friend of mine who had a chance to be on the Washington Generals. Yes. And me, that's where the defense looks like it sometimes. And this is this is the Globe Chargers and the Washington Generals playing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Or guys are jumping out of the way, uh, giving baskets away. But that's the current state of basketball. So, uh, as, 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 as you know, and as we talk throughout the course of the year, we just try to watch it. We try to enjoy it uh, as, as much as we can. But there's certain things that uh, uh, 
just can't be dismissed. So uh, it is what it is. Uh, everybody's looking for a, a good game tonight. We know Fox is hurt. Uh, who else is hurt? I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, everybody's thrilled about the Kings and what's happened to them this year. And this is going to be an interesting game tonight. Uh, the, the crowd's going to bring it. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. Hopefully there won't be anybody uh, smashing somebody on the floor. Uh, we're going to have a clean game. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and the best team wins. So speaking of guys laying on the floor, and I'm curious, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Sabonis's game? I mean, we, you know, he he's a big guy. He likes to play a little bully ball, and the Kings do try to establish him inside. And I'm curious if you you know knew his father. I think you competed against his father a little bit, Ar- Arvidas Sabonis, back in the day, right? Give, give me your your take on Sabonis's overall game. I think Sabonis plays well. I think he's been doing a great job for those guys. He uh, he fits his modern game uh, to where he is uh, a passer. Uh, you know, we all know he's, he's not a great defender. I mean, he'll throw his body in there. Uh, he can't rebound the ball. So he fits that team extraordinarily well, uh, which which – which I, I think is interesting. So, uh, you know, it is interesting that uh, Sabotis now, after any, uh, you know, getting a uh, uh, Peter Mavian move of the guy stomping on him on the floor, he's he's the bully now, which is uh, very humorous for me because I, I can't imagine if I'm coaching an eighth-grade team <laughs> Having to tell my player, hey, look, you can't stomp on a kid. <laughs> We're going to maybe have to suspend you. So, uh, like I said, I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I've never seen this level of irresponsibility uh, and then have it justified by, oh, hey, I was being bullied or somebody scrapping my foot. Doesn't matter. A grammar school kid knows you can't punch anybody. You can't stomp on anybody. Really? And you want to defend it? Uh, what is going on with this? With, it, with, entitlement. With, with really? I mean, really, it is entitlement. It seems kind of a little strange to maybe use it in this context, but everybody seems to be entitled. They feel they're a superstar, and, you know, again, if somebody's going to challenge another guy or closely guard you or wants to compete with you, it's like, whoa. I mean, it's like they get offended or something. You're out there to play, okay? Everyone's getting paid to play, and just play and not get, you know, butthurt about something. If something happens to you or whatever, or someone's, you know, talking mess to you or disrespecting you. I mean, it's it's ridiculous to see these guys jawing at each other. And then again, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to flop. I'm going to try to, jar, you know, draw these charges. I mean, it's just, to me, it's just, it's sickening to watch. And I don't know how much more of it, you know, kind of like you that, that I could take, but I will say, you know, with this series, with the Kings and the Warriors, at least we are getting some really good quality of basketball, some tremendous shot making, some tremendous passing. But, you know, if we cut away a little bit of the nonsense, man, it would be, it'd be a perfect series. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, this series alone is, is purely the best series that we've seen thus far in the opening round. And it's too bad that it's an opening round series because it's really playing out more like a, a Western Conference final or a championship series. Yeah, yeah, it has. It's, it's been really refreshing. The series in itself has been, uh, it's been great. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to make any sense out of, uh, out of this other stuff. Considering uh, our league now, our NBA league, is, is really a uh, touchless league. Where if you touch anybody, it's going to be a flagrant or a flagrant two. You get tossed. So, um, you know, it's like a it's a walking contradiction of, of who you're not. Uh, you're not aggressive guys. You're you're extraordinarily athletic players. Uh, who are able to move around the floor and either shoot three-point shots or dunk. So uh, I don't get it, but uh, but like I said, it is what it is. And we just we just gotta appreciate the talent, appreciate the the, the great plays when they do happen. Uh, ignore this idea that there's a defensive player of the year because that's a complete joke. And I, I find a lot of humor in the, in the fact that in the, all of these series in the last few years, there's no matchups in the game. Like, let me give you an example. When we played the, the Detroit Pistons, everybody knew that Joe Dumars was responsible, basically, for Michael Jordan. Give me a player... Who's responsible for anybody on the floor? Who's, who's responsible for Steph Curry tonight? Who's, who is it? Give me one guy who's responsible. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was De'Aaron Fox because remember, he's the King's best defender. Curry's the best offensive player there for the worst. So I, I would think that that is that. And that was part of the narrative in the beginning, but I don't know actually how much time he is spending on him. I have, I have never heard that scenario. Yeah. That that anybody anybody's responsible for anybody, and that's my point. Mm-hmm. Nobody's responsible for anybody. Uh, just like watching the Miami game, this guy comes out and gets fifty points. I guess nobody's responsible for him either. So uh, it's just insane what happens right now. You're right because you you would hear that back in the day. You know that this guy's the defensive stopper. This guy has got to take you know you know Michael Jordan out of the game or you know whoever it was. Okay, uh, you know Bernard King. We go back to you know one of the great scorers, as you well know, one of your former teammates. I mean, you better have a lockdown defender, or Bernard. He's going to light you up for fifty, right? George Gervin was another one of those guys, uh, especially guys that could you know get to the lane and then of, of course can uh, you know were great shooters as well too. You're right. You would say somebody's responsibility was to shut that guy down or at least limit him. And you know for the most part, you're right. We don't hear too much about that. Yeah, really hear about it. Yeah, some guys were known for being tough defenders and. <laughs> Uh, and the only time you hear about that is at the end of the year. This guy got defensive player of the year. You're like, why? Why did you get defensive player of the year? Those we got teams averaging over 115 points a game. Who did you stop? What the hell's in here? So I don't know, all of that I just find to be very, uh, very humorous. 
Uh, well, like I said, tonight's game is going to be fun. I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to try to watch a little bit of it. <laughs> uh, I will tell you, it's 90 degrees in Sacramento. Yeah? Uh, so there's a good chance of me and some golf balls. Okay. Uh, the game. So listen, so I, I, I reach out to you uh, on Sunday, and we got a great game on tap. And what's the response I get from you? Oh, I don't know. I got two birdies today. How, how can you not be watching this game? I mean, you can go play golf anytime. I mean, where's your clock management here, my friend? I mean, 1230 game. All right. If you want to go play golf, go in the morning or go later. You got to be watching this stuff. I mean, this is this is a great series and you don't even watch it. You're on a golf course. Come on, man. I did, I did have great management. I was, I was hitting the ball wall. I don't know about leaving the course. I was in the wall. Uh, that's, that's, that's a different deal. Look, that, 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 that doesn't happen very often. Hmm. And, and what, what was the change in the outcome going to be, whether I watch it or not? No, but that way you could uh, you know, talk intelligently about it, you know? And I know you just want to watch some highlights, but I know it's not your thing. I mean, even playoff basketball is an intriguing uh, series, meaningful series this is. Yeah, I think you got to watch a little bit more than just the, the last five minutes of the game. Nah, I don't think so. I think, I think I'm going to get some screen roll. I think I'm going to get some isolation. I got some three point shots, and I'm going to get some layups. So what? What else am I going to say? That's it. Uh, uh, I mean, the only thing I, I could happen, I think, uh, Golden State played uh, uh, about five or six possessions of, uh, of zone, uh, which I thought was a good move. Uh, but uh, I can hear about that. So, what else am I seeing? Look, I was fortunate enough to get thirty plus years of basketball. So, you're trying to tell me I'm going to see something? <laughs> no, I just thought so, you might be a, a little entertained. You know, instead of you know, I was entertained. You know, okay, yeah. that's okay. okay. You don't you don't want to watch two and a half hours of basketball? I, I get it. I guess. Okay. I mean, normally, regular season game, no. Now, Lakers-Memphis, I'm with you. I'll probably go play golf instead of watching that mess, you know, because I, I don't need to see that. You know, I don't need to see LeBron James firing up 30-footers. I don't need to see that. I don't need to see John Morant, you know, uh, turning the ball over and seeing him try to bull over LeBron James and thinks he's going to jump over him and then, you know, land on his hand and, and re-injure his hand again. I'm with you with that. I, I don't know. And what is your take uh, on that series, where we're at now? It's 3-1. The Lakers are ahead, but now we're going back to Memphis tonight. Uh, Memphis, very good home team there, the, the higher seed. What's going to happen tonight? Well, I don't know. I think it's going to, lot to get, depend on the health. Uh, you know, fortunately and unfortunately for you, the Lakers are playing as well as they have all year. Uh, I'm not saying they're playing great, but they're playing as well as they have. And now uh, they're getting uh, they're getting a lot of performances from different guys. So, um if these kind of games, who knows? I mean, who knows if Morant even plays? Who knows if he can shoot? Uh, there's there's little predictability, which I guess we should be happy about because we used to complain about there was uh, teams were so dominant. Now we have no clue. We don't even know who's going to play. You're in. So it's um, so that part, I guess, is refreshing. Mm. 
Uh, I would not even dare to guess the line on the game, uh, but, you know, I don't mess with anyway. Uh, you, but, uh, I've taught you pretty well. I mean, you, you could probably, uh, you know, predict it. What do you think it is tonight? Nah, forget it. You know, I don't predict the line. <laughs> so uh, You got nothing to do with the line. I'm just saying, you know, you could predict it. You, nah, know, you don't care. Uh, I mean, no, okay, I'm going to ask you this. Who do you think no. is favored? Who do you think is favored tonight? The Warriors or the Kings? And who's favored, the Lakers or the, uh, or the Memphis, Mr. Novice uh, Gambler? No, I'm not a gambler. That's why I don't I don't bet on that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I would say that just because of the fact that Fox got hurt, that the Warriors are going to be favored. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say the Lakers are going to be favored because they're up 3-1. I'm not betting anything. That's bad vibes for me, as you know. I'm not asking you to bet. Okay, you're one for two. You're 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 one for two on that. One for two. Which one do you think you got right? Which one did you get wrong? Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking I got the Warriors right. Yeah, you did. You get the Warriors right. And, and, and Memphis is is at home, and they're the higher seed, so they're yeah. favored. Yes, they're favored by four. Warriors are favored by two. Yeah, I don't care. I'm just saying that what makes sense is, uh, uh, you know, unless something, you know, like I said, depending on who plays, regardless. Yeah. Uh, I think that's going to be a big factor in the game. Let me, so. ask, let me ask you this. Why do you think the Warriors are having such a problem winning on the road this year? They are 11 and 32 regular season, you know, 11 and 30, and then they're 0 for 2, you know, with uh, in Sacramento here. Why well, is you know it? Why. You know why? Guys don't play. Yeah. Guys don't play. So you can't uh, all of a sudden have your team, uh, you have starters. I mean, they could have three starters out for no reason. And that started, and, we, and we, you, you were there. That was about 18 games gone in the season. They started doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you can't have that kind of consistency throughout the course of the season without your guys playing. And and I don't know, unless they feel their bodies are that old. Later in my career, I played less because we had guys like Stacey King, Scott Williams, Will Purdue. Or the young guy. So later in the season after the All Star break, uh, you know, I would take like two weeks off so we can get ready for the playoffs. But that was that was an after eighteen games to start start shutting guys down. So uh, you know, it is what it is. I mean, just the same reason the Lakers had a terrible year where your your stars don't play. There's no consistency. Um, you're, you're not going to win, especially on the road with, uh, you know, the Warriors being the reigning champs and the Lakers. Uh, everybody wanted to see them. Uh, they're going to have big crowds. It's going to be everybody's game of the of the week, the month, the year. So it's just very difficult. Let me ask you this. How did you feel in your later years like that when your minutes, you know, declined a little bit, whether it was to rest or just because you had younger guys or whatever. I mean, did you want to be on the floor all that time or were you cool, you know, with, with sitting out and getting lesser minutes? 
win on that was fine because our, we had a bigger goal. We were looking to win a championship, uh, which which did happen. So, um, but we were doing that, uh, resigning the team to the fact that we were going to lose games. A lot said we're going to just lose games. So, this scenario that the Lakers and Golden State have, where they finish as low as they have, would never happen because uh, being consistent as a team was was more important than to follow this scenario of of, uh, of just resting guys to rest them. Um, you know, there's 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 no reason for that. Now, I will say uh, the only guy that has an excuse for that is probably LeBron because he is the older guy. Uh, so maybe this guy needs some time off. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it certainly cost him uh, barely making the playoffs. All right, brother. We'll let you uh, go. Appreciate uh, the time today. Uh, enjoy your drive. Uh San Francisco to Sacktown. All right. Uh, enjoy the game. And, uh, you know, if you're going to hit the range, keep it straight, man. That's all I got to say. Yeah. You've been there with me. Yep. You know, then it's going to be somewhere in the vicinity. For the most part, I got no guarantees. But I'm, I am going to be somewhere in the vicinity. I, I, I've never oh. seen anybody that enjoys the driving range as much as you, you know? You got to be kidding, man. There's millions of people that love the range. They're out there pounding balls every day. Pounding. You, uh, you love the range. I think you like the range because you don't have to walk. Yeah, I, I like look. If, if, uh, if I'm going to go on the course, I don't want to uh, embarrass myself. I do need to practice in case, uh, you know, Alan Iverson, if you ever heard of that, you do have to practice. <laughs> Practice. Practice. Talk about practice. All right, man. Enjoy, my friend. We'll uh, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Enjoy. There it is. The big seven-footer, big Bill Cartwright. What is that? What is that? I mean, playing golf, opting to, you know, instead of watching games. Oh, but I'll, I'll watch the last few minutes. That's fine. You even said yourself that NBA players check out after they're done. Oh, there's no doubt. But, I, I w- well, not 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 true. Not true. I mean, you look at okay, the guys that we have on the former NBA players. Yeah. Okay, Tracy Murray's watching. Olden Polonese is watching. B.J. Armstrong's watching. Cartwright's watching, but he doesn't watch it. He doesn't as, watch watch. Yeah, he's yeah. Because yeah. again, now again, granted, he's had more success than any of those other guys. So I, I get that. And he's disgusted with the state of play. I get that. He's got five championship rings, three as a player, two as a coach. So it's like, yeah, you know, he, I, I get that, you know, to a, to a certain degree. But I just, especially the Kings, which he likes, the Warriors that he follows very closely, go, goes a lot to their games, living in San Francisco. That's all I'm saying. But no, there are still guys that are former players that are watching you know, every minute so they can comment on it, talk about it, do radio, television, and that sort of thing. And they still have this, you know, inner love for the game. So when when he goes to a game, 
when he goes to a game, when he's sitting there, does he have his phone on like a Western and watching a Western and then just watches the last five minutes live, you think? You talking about when we're watching a game at, at a game? When he goes to, to a game. To an arena? When he, you think he's just got his phone on? No, no, he doesn't. No, he's no. He's just... No, no. He only picks up the phone like, some, some kind of like me during, during timeouts and stuff. No, there's no, there's none of that stuff. No, doesn't that. But, you know, might be texting people or, you know, trying to, you know, figure out which restaurants are going to be open after the game. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. He fails miserably at that, by the way. I told, tell him, I said, you got to make a reservation. Like when I'm in his town, make a reservation in advance. Ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry. I, and then like second quarter, he'll start making reservation. It's like, no, it's going to be too late. And sure enough, that's what's happened. You know, these people, see, not organized like me. Yeah. I, got, I make those reservations well in advance. That's like our favorite Mexican place. Exactly. You got to have that days in advance. Exactly. And I got company coming to town this week. All right. You know, got the crew coming in, and I'm already already have reservations made because you have to. End of story. Paul Gutierrez is going to join us next from ESPN Raiders Insider as we talk NFL draft. What are the Raiders going to do with pick number seven? We're going to find out. Ooh, in about 28 hours from now. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and lucky you, you're listening to the TC Martin Show. Ah, uh, that's gold, baby, gold. <laughs> Yes, continuing on here. Jam-packed show coming your way today. And we're going to talk a little NFL draft because a little more 24 hours away. Carolina Panthers on the clock. Which quarterback will they choose? And for Las Vegas Raider fans, what are the Raiders going to do with number seven? Let's get the inside scoop from a good friend, Paul Gutierrez, ESPN, the Raiders insider. Paul, what's going on, my friend? What's going on, TZ? Thanks for having me. Man, glad to uh, connect with you again here. So, yeah, I don't definitely. know. I don't know how much uh, homework you've done, uh, how many people you've been <laughs> talking to, man. But uh, exciting time, anytime with the NFL draft. But I don't know. Do you get you know kind of sick and tired of of all of the mock drafts? Because seems like we go through probably thirty two hundred different renditions uh, the week before the draft. Isn't that about right? Yeah, and, and it's it's one of those kind of love hate relationships where you know that uh, in in the end, none of it really matters. It's a crapshoot in real life, anyways. Um, but in but also in real life, people love to hear about it and can never get enough of it. And you know, in the old days, you know, you and I are old enough to remember when people say, "Oh, you just wrote that to sell papers." Now you just wrote that to get clicks. <laughs> and that's what mock drafts do. Is we had our own with ESPN NFL Nation. We're all thirty two of us. We we got online and we had our own. Draft. And we had a TV show last night, and I can't even say spoiler alert because it's already out there. And you know, I, I stayed put at number seven. I tried to move up to number three, but uh, the guy I wanted was uh, was taken at number two. So I I stood pat and took what I took. Okay, all right. So let, let's hear the drum roll, please. Paul Gutierrez is coming to the podium, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. There it is. All right, here's Paul Gutierrez with the seventh pick. The Las Vegas Raiders select. Cornerback Christian Gonzalez from Oregon. Uh-huh. So I took I took Gonzalez. Now, mind you, I tried to move up to three because I've been hearing whispers that C.J. Stroud might have fallen out of the top two. Mm-hmm. And I offered. I I'd already had my conversations with my Cardinal counterpart, and uh, the the price was pretty steep. But I did offer this year's first, which is number seven, obviously. This year's second rounder, which is number thirty eight, and then next year's first. It's a, it's a pretty hefty package to pay, but I do believe that the Raiders like C.J. Stroud that much. 
Um, instead, the Texans took him at number two, so I just fell back and sat. Um, and there was a guy that, that uh, I think the Raiders are real, real, not, I'm real interested in, at, at, in Tyree Wilson, yeah. which doesn't really set off many alarms in terms of, wait a minute, a defensive end is already kind of a strength of the defense. But if there's one thing that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels have told us, is that they're not afraid to make a quote-unquote strength even stronger by selecting their quote-unquote best player available, dot, 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 on their board. Not what everybody else says, but on their board. So I was ready to take Wilson, but uh, the Lions took it at number six. So then it was like, okay, well, they need a cornerback, two guys there, and, and I don't know if you could really go wrong with either taking Gonzalez or, uh, or Spoon. Uh, with a spoon, and, and uh, I, I just chose Gonzalez because of how much how much bigger he is, how much more fluid he is, and and for a, a little bit of older school Raider fans, he reminds me a lot of Nambi Awesome Watu. Mm, okay, so I I, I I blew my introduction with you. I, I'm sorry. I should have introduced you as General Manager Paul Gutierrez. <laughs> <laughs> I just play one on TV. <laughs> exactly. So let me ask you. So when you're going through these mock drafts and you're selecting, okay, is that okay? That's you. Your intellect is saying, okay, this is what they should do. Or are you kind of piecing together what you've been hearing maybe or trying to read in between the lines of the tea leaves from Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels of what they want to do when you're making that selection for the Raiders? Uh, short answer, yes. All of the above. Uh, it, it, it is. You're kind of you're, you're playing general manager for the team you cover, but it's also got to be an educated guess. Right. Otherwise, what's the point? Because if you just go – totally off the reservation and just pick somebody that, that I like, yeah. then then what's the point of the exercise? Then it throws off the entire thing. Now, those are the instructions we're given at ESPN, NFL Nation, you know, to, to, to be the GM for your team using your own experience, uh, intel, what makes sense. And you do. You pay attention to every other mock draft that's out there. Now, having done all of that homework and done that, uh, <laughs> they probably trade up or they trade back out of seven. But that was the interesting thing was they actually allowed us to try to make trades. And um, because the guy I wanted was not there at three, I had to stand pat. Mm-hmm. And how do you do in, in fantasy football, Paul, with your drafting and your, your trading? You, are you able to, to trade? Are you a good GM in fantasy football? Um, I, I'm going to kind of hear, I'm going to take a, I'm going to quote Nancy Reagan. I just say no. I just say no when it comes to fantasy football because knowing my, my mentality, I would be so hooked and addicted to it. I wouldn't be able to do my real job. Uh, and we do have to do a fantasy comp uh, component in our job, uh-huh. but yeah, I just, I stay away from fantasy football on a personal level for just that reason. I mean, I got a family, man. I got, to, I got people I got to take care of and, and pay attention to. Exactly. All right. He is Paul Gutierrez at ESPN, the Raiders insider speaking of, of of the raiders and dave ziegler and we're talking about trying to you know read in between the lines it, correct me if i'm wrong here but it seems like they have done there he's done a very good job of keeping everything underneath the vest here have you what have you you know picked up uh from listening to press conferences and and comments that he's made well, when it comes to Dave, uh, you know, I, I sat down with him at the owners' meetings, and granted, you know, the, the landscape changes, if not by the week, if not by the day, by the hour, right? So, so they're, they're always trying to stay on top of things, anyways. But back at the owners' meetings at the end of of March, I had a one on one. I sat with him for about half an hour, and and the message he kept putting out there was that he used pre agency to address specific needs. He's going to use the draft to select the best player available, dot, 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 again, on their board. Not what everybody else thinks, but what they think in their rankings. And then the ultimate tiebreaker is, well, what if you got two guys that 
that, you know, are, have similar ratings. And, and one is, okay, well, we already are strong at defensive end, but we need a cornerback. Then the tiebreaker is going to be, um, whatever the, the need is. But that, my big takeaway from this whole thing with Dave and, and Josh too, because, you know, when you're talking about Dave Ziegler and, and Josh McDaniels, it's McZigs, really, you know, it's one brain, right. even though one's the GM, one's the coach. Uh, it, it, it's just that, that they're going to use the draft to pick who in their mind is the best of, best player available. And that's going to be real interesting to see how this thing goes out because, as I said right at the top, we all know the NFL draft is a crapshoot. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's been surefire hits that have flamed out. There have been guys that were taken on day three that have become pro bowlers and uh, on the verge of becoming all pros. Hello, Max Crosby. Mm-hmm. So it, it's right where we are with this. I mean, my favorite draft story, Tom Flores, who's now in the Hall of Fame, justifiably so. He told me the story way back in 1982 when they're trend, you know, they're actually still the Oakland Raiders at this point. They haven't moved to LA. Al Davis is in court in Los Angeles trying to force, you know, trying to get the right to move. And the room was split when it came their time to pick. They needed a running back. They wanted a running back. Half the room wanted uh, some guy from Richmond named Barry Redden. The other half wanted uh, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner named Marcus Allen. Uh, Tom Flores called Al Davis while he's in court. He has to go outside and pick up on a on a payphone again. Today's generation doesn't know what those are, and, but it was more than Superman's changing booth, right? So, and he said, "Is that who you guys want? Take him." So they drafted Marcus Allen, and it's just again, you never know because. Really, Marcus was like the third or fourth guy on their board in terms of running back. They also like Gerald Riggs and, and uh, uh, gosh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Darren, the Vikings selected him. He's from Stanford. Oh, so, Darren Nelson. Um, it, Darren Nelson. Darren Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they wanted one of those two guys first. Yeah. But so it, it's real interesting. You know, you can, you can write books about what actually happens in the draft rooms. You know, I really do like the approach of, you know, the best player available type of thing. And even maybe again, you, you know, you find room to to make it work if, it, if the defensive end is the best player, and then you, like you said, you've got the the motive with a, a lot of GMs that like, okay, you're drafting for position. I don't know about you, Paul, but you know, and, and I, I respect that you you know want to go with Gonzalez or whatever. But when you look at Witherspoon and Gonzalez from the cornerback position, yeah. I mean, are these guys really game changers? Because you know, you talk to a lot of people, and I kind of feel this way myself too. The number seven. I mean, that might be a little bit of a reach to for a cornerback, unless you're talking about like a Charles Woodson type of guy. I don't see either one of those guys being that, especially when you need, uh, you know, so, some real serious help on the offensive line and maybe, uh, you know, the defensive line as well, too. Or maybe there is a game changer, the wide receiver tight end or something like that. So talk a little bit about, you know, these cornerbacks and, in. You know, again, I know it's a crapshoot, but yeah. should this, should this, is, is this a, a, we know it's a need for, for the Raiders, but do you go there at seven with either one of these guys? Well, if you got somebody that wants to move up, then it's a perfect opportunity to trade back. And that's something that Dave Ziegler told me too at the NFL owners meetings was that they really liked their position at seven. And again, if they didn't like it, I don't know if they would admit it, but he liked it because at seven, you've got, you've got just enough resources to move up if you want. Yeah. Plus you got 12 picks already. Uh, and at seven, if you really don't have somebody you love, you can move back if somebody wants to jump up there too. Nobody approached me for a trade proposal there. Otherwise, I may have listened to him and taken it. Um, are these guys game changers? I don't know. But if they are the best player available and they're fine taking them and then trading back up into the later in the first round to get, oh, I don't know, Hendon Hooker uh, uh, as a developmental quarterback, I could see that happening too. 
Um, what, what I like about Gonzalez is just the, the, the total package. I mean, just so big, so strong, so fast. Um, you know, and like I said, watching him with the body frame and everything, he reminds me of a Namdi Asamoah, and that's a, that's a pretty tall order to fill. Witherspoon is just compact. He's fast. He, he's not afraid to stick his, his face in there. And, and, you know, and that's the thing. If you get these guys that are shut down corners, you're not just addressing that position specifically, you know, if, if they are a quote unquote game changer, then they're also affecting and making the defensive line better. Because if the, the longer they can cover somebody, that's going to give those edge rushers more time to get to the quarterback and vice versa. Yep. So that's why I thought it was interesting that if either of those two defensive ends were still there at seven, you draft those, those monsters that are affecting the quarterback, that helps your cornerbacks that you already have on the roster that they did address in free agency. I'm not saying they're all world beaters or game changers or anything, but if you're looking at it from the mentality of what Ziggler and McDaniels are trying to do, They've been given the keys to the Silver and Black Castle by Mark Davis. Do your thing. Do what you got to do. They've, they've got all the job security in the world for now. And impart your vision and make it happen. So that's kind of the mentality I took into it based on uh, intel, reconnaissance, talking to people, things like that. And I know the, the initial question was, are either of these guys game changers? I am not. I, I don't know. We don't know who's a game changer, right, until they get in the field and they play the game. But they are the two best cornerbacks in this class. If we're going by college, uh, definitely a game changer is Jalen Carter. Under a lot of scrutiny, we know they had a visit here in Las Vegas, you know, with yeah. the Raiders. I mean, how how much is he being considered? Do you think by Dave Ziegler if he does drop to seven? And then part two of the question is the one that everyone's asking. You know, you you, you factor in the character, and do you think that the Raiders are okay with his character? Yeah, I I, I don't know, and I will tell you this that I, I don't know how comfortable uh, even above Ziegler and McDaniel's are with this, especially from the PR standpoint when it, when it comes to the Henry Rugg situation. And I'm not trying to minimize that or, or villainize anybody else in this, but it's just so raw and so recent to go ahead and do something like that again regarding these things. And I know they're two different situations, but it's just really hard. Beyond that, the Seattle Seahawks probably take that problem off of the Raiders' right, hands anyways right. and taking it by. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened in our draft. I was wondering, too, about that if it comes to me. And again, uh, who cares who I pick in a mock draft? But you have to think about these things. And I, I, again, based on my conversations, my intel, I just don't know that he's on the board. Yes, they brought him in. Yes, they did the due diligence. But it just to me seems that it's it's too hot of a situation um, if he's there. Even if he is kind of a Warren Sapp game changer, um, you know. And, and again, he's maybe he's not there. Which I say all that just to say, well, maybe he falls them or they trade up and pick him. Who knows? Again, the draft is so unusual. And again, when, you know, there's a lot of players here, but in our own mock draft, we had Bryce Young went one, Stroud went two, Will Anderson went three, uh, Richardson, the quarterback went four, Carter went five, and Tyree Wilson went six. So that I was left with the best player available remaining at the best position of need. And I went with Gonzalez ahead of, uh, ahead of Witherspoon, who went next to the Falcons in our mock draft. Speaking of quarterbacks, we've seen teams, and it just seems like it, this is a popular trend over the last, I don't know, four, five, six years, that we've seen teams overreach you know, for these quarterbacks. And I'm looking at this yes. class, Paul, and I'm not, I, I love Bryce Young, but after that, okay, C.J. Stroud, I understand that. But when you get to, to Anthony Richardson and Levis, I'm just, I watched a lot of college football and I wasn't overly yeah. impressed with either one of these guys. And sure, yeah, Levis can throw the ball 70 yards. 
I don't know, man. And I still go back to Trey Lance, you know, for the 49ers. And then, and then again, you know, with Darnold and then Zach Wilson in the last few years. I, I just don't know. Are the Raiders really considering? Then you talk about Hinden Hooker, who's coming off that major injury. And then I go back to Hinden Hooker. Yeah. I was never really overly impressed what he did at Virginia Tech. Great year until he got injured at Tennessee. I get that. Back to the crapshoot, though. But you got Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. You say you're happy with yeah. that. It makes all the sense in the world. I don't see Jimmy Garoppolo being a, a one or just even a two-year guy with the Raiders. Do they really consider one of these other quarterbacks? Unless, uh, again, what my understanding and talking to people even at ESPN, unless the name is, is uh, Young or Stroud, I, I think they're out on it. And then yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll go ahead and they'll take a developmental guy mm-hmm. later on in the second or third round. And And again, I go back to the conversation I had with Dave Ziegler when I asked him, what does the addition of Jimmy Garoppolo to this roster do to your mentality when it comes to drafting a quarterback? And he said it gives them basically the luxury of knowing that they have him there, that they don't have to reach on a quarterback. You know, they're they're not panicking. If if the top two guys that they're in love with are not there, they're not like, oh, we need to take a quarterback. Oh, let's take Levis. No, they don't have to do that right. if they're not necessarily in love with them. Then they can go, they can uh, you know rehuddle up and, and figure it out, and then take somebody else, whether it's Hainer from Fresno State, the kid from Stanford, Hendon Hooker, because you don't need somebody that's a starter from day one. Now, if the two guys they're in love with are there, that's that's a quote unquote game changer in terms of the mentality. But I again, it's you say all this with uh, educated guesses, and and <laughs> we'll figure it all out when they actually make the pick. But yeah, that number two pick. Is the is kind of like ground zero for what's going to go on tomorrow because if Houston does not take either Young or Stroud, then it's game on and we'll figure out exactly what happens. Great question on your part uh, to Dave Ziegler uh, regarding that Jimmy Garoppolo. That is a great question. I would yeah. ask him the exact same thing. And then, yeah, it's and I, I get that. All right, man. Here we go. Okay, uh, you're the Carolina Panthers. You're on the clock. Uh, GM Paul Gutierrez and he was trying to. Oh, there you go. Ah. I'm going Bryce Young. Bryce Young's number one. There is. I, I agree with you on that. Now, how do you rank the other quarterbacks behind uh, Bryce Young? Give us your order. You know, for me, I, I think Stroud is more polished. But if you've already, and here's the thing that's intriguing to me, and that I haven't heard this coming out of Raiders camp, is that I really like Richardson just for the pure. You know, he's polarizing, yes, but in a different way than Derek Carr was polarizing, right? <laughs> he's polarizing <laughs> because of the the prospect he is, yeah. and. You can he can sit there, and again, that's what Jimmy Garoppolo gives you. Um, he gives you that that time to just sit and learn and marinate and figure it out at this level. Um, he's the guy that I'm most intrigued by, actually, in this draft. I know that's not the question you asked, but I'm most intrigued with him. I do like that Levis can throw the ball seventy yards, but then again, so could Jamarcus. And I know that's a, <laughs> right. that's a name he who shall not be named by the Raiders, the Raider fans on draft day, but. It, it, it's kind of that order, and, and I do like Hendon Hooker simply, and only because I know that the Raiders have been interested in him since the beginning of last year, and they went and saw him a couple of times mm-hmm. um, before he got injured. So, yeah, it, it, to me, it, it, it's Young, Stroud, Richardson, Levis in that order. And where do you think the Raiders go uh, in that second round, and what would be the next you know position of need, in your opinion? It depends upon who's there, really, yeah. and, and who is on their board as the BPA, right? Uh, they need a tight end. The tight end class, the tight end class is is, is uh, really good. Uh, they they could stand to get another offensive lineman who's got versatility to him. And, and there's a couple of guys. Karonsky is going to be gone. 
Um, but you know, they, they want a, a lineman that can play both tackle and guard. And, and here's the other thing about it, TC, is the fact that they basically re-signed their entire offensive line from last year True. to come back. Yeah, and right. that, that to me, that's when I went, huh, okay, well then I don't really necessarily need to study up on an offensive tackle at number seven right? because they brought everybody back. Plus Brandon, who, who didn't play at all last year, but was the starter going into the season. So uh, before he got injured in the Hall of Fame game. It's, yep. it's it's real intriguing to me to see where they go. I do think, unless one of those quarterbacks are, I think they go defense, then they go offense, and then the rest is just a lot of defensive players down the stretch. And I do think they make a lot of trades. I don't think they make 12 picks. I think it's probably closer to like 8 or 9, maybe 10 picks. Yeah, yeah. All right, he is Paul Gutierrez, ESPN Raiders insider. Uh, you can uh, view uh, his uh, selection, like I said, the ESPN NFL Nation uh, covering uh, the NFL draft. Uh, you know, great stuff uh, there, my friend. Have you been watching any of the NBA playoffs? I have. Um, quick you know, thoughts. It's interesting. You know, cause I, yeah, quick thoughts. Um, I think the Warriors are going to escape the Sacramento Kings, and yet uh, there's a part of me that's kind of rooting for the Kings because they haven't been in the playoffs for so long. I'll just leave it at that. Right. <laughs> Looking forward to Game 5 tonight. That will be uh, fantastic. Yeah. My friend, we'll let you go. Really appreciate the time. Uh, great stuff as always. Uh, great coverage. And uh, looking forward to, to seeing you around the facility very, very soon. And uh, we look forward to uh, this season, see what Jimmy Garoppolo brings and, and hopefully the new and improved Raiders. And, and we'll see how the draft goes after this weekend. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Take care, brother. There he is. Paul Gutierrez does a fantastic job, of course, as the Raiders insider uh, with ESPN. All right. I want to thank uh, Paul for joining us today. Gary Gerald as well, the longtime voice of the Sacramento Kings. 38 years and still going. Uh, Great stuff from him today. That interview will be up on the website a little bit later on. The big seven-footer, big book Cartwright. Thank him for joining us as well, too. You heard from Aaron Rodgers today and uh, his thoughts regarding being the newest member of the New York Jets. And we'll wear number eight, even though Joe Namath said, you can wear number 12. And he goes, no, no, no. Number 12 is Joe Willie Namath. There for the Jets. All right. Back at it again tomorrow, 2 to 4 p.m. Make sure that you join us. Continue draft coverage, NBA playoffs. We'll talk about what happened in Sacramento. Tonight's game number five, also Lakers and Memphis. Nice lineup tonight. Knicks and Cleveland. The Knicks have a chance to close out the Cavs. Lakers and Memphis. Miami and Milwaukee. What happened to the Bucs? They're down 3-1. They're back at home. And they're an 11-point favorite. How about that? And the Kings, a four-point choice at Sacramento night. Uh, this series tied at two games apiece. Wow. Should be outstanding. Back at it tomorrow. Miss any part of the show? Go to the website, tcmartinshow.com.